Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but... I'm very, very excited to be here at the Margaret Atwood launch of the Testaments at Waterstones Piccadilly. The new box set of The Handmaid's Tale World. That will soon be a number one bestseller. And uh, I was uh, just in the dressing room and I was so excited by it because there's so many events here. There's other events going on at the moment. I saw Neil Gaiman upstairs and he said, I've never been at a book launch that has streams. He said, you have to decide what event you're going to be at at the book launch before Margaret Atwood even comes on. So I said to Bridget Christie in the dressing room, yeah, this is kind of like Disneyland for feminists. <laughs> and she said, yes, except no one really knows where they're meant to be. Just like Disneyland, Debs, but also just like feminism. That is true. I'm a feminist, but the idea of having just one choice of outfit uh, sounds liberating. <laughs> um, it sounds amazing. It really does. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know how much energy I spend like, trying to figure out what to wear? Do I look like a lady or do I look like a boy? What's happening? Who am I? How do I show that I don't care what people think and I respect myself but also am decent? What is decent? You know what I mean? It's a lot of anxiety wrapped up in yeah, that. No, it would be great if the state took that off our plates. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Well, I feel like it's kind of like when you don't know what to do with your hair, so you shave your head, right? Like, at first you're like, whoa, this is, like, very limiting in style, but look at all the free time you have. <laughs> you know, here's just a suggestion. Steve Jobs used to do this, but he did it for himself. Only for himself. Yeah, he just decided, I don't think he made everyone at Apple do it, but who knows? I want it to be societal. <laughs> I want to know... The Matt outfit is just as awesome as that person's outfit. Yeah, that's why we have school uniforms here. But do you know what? People find ways of making theirs cooler. Because I went to school with a school uniform and then some girls just made it look cool and you were never sure how and you tried to do what they did, but you just looked even dorkier. We need regulation. Yeah. I actually watched a documentary once about Amish people and there were two young Amish women laughing at a third young Amish woman because her calico was cheap. 
People we will go. always find a way. There we go. I'm a feminist, but I was upstairs. They took me off into some kind of room upstairs uh, where there were, I have to say, a number of leading feminists that I was wow. excited to look at. And... Um, <laughs> Not to talk to, that was awkward. Don't uh, talk to him. No, I, but then People one of... People love that. You just look, they love it. <laughs> one of them talked to me and she said, oh, I see that your outfit is a salute to the handmaids because I am wearing a long red jacket that does look a bit red cloaky. Now, this was not exactly deliberate. I was going to wear a black jacket and thought that's a bit boring and then saw that this was, in fact, clean. So, so elated that this was not on my bedroom floor that I was like, I could wear that. It's actually been dry clean. This is a great day for everybody. And then I put it on and looked in the I mirror. I feel like I've won because you have that on. Yeah, well, I looked in the mirror and went, oh, this is a bit nod to the handmaids. And I thought, well, that's good in a way. That's good. But then... Another leading feminist who was standing next to the first leading feminist. What? I, is there an order? No, I, they were equal leading feminists, but I was awkwardly standing near them. The second one said, yes, your outfit is a nod to the handmaids, but your footwear would work better in Jezebel's. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it would. I felt Exciting. so pleased for myself. And also I felt like, yeah, I'm business up top. And I'm, yeah. and I'm party down below, yeah. um, which is great. I felt very thrilled by it. And then a third leading feminist said, to me, you look like a handmaid who works at Deloitte's. <laughs> Corporate handmaid. Corporate handmaid. So I mean, great. I don't know how that works because handmaids are not allowed to read. But <laughs> I felt my outfit being deconstructed on those levels was yeah. quite satisfying. But I'm completely thrilled that these shoes have been named Jezebel shoes. And I shall, every time I put these on for the rest of my life, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to be like, what am I going to wear tonight? Oh, I wear my Jezebel my shoes. Jezebels. <laughs> my Jezebel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, I'm glad you had those talking points, but nobody would have broke down your outfit if they all had on it as well. Um, <laughs> It's just real talk. So this one is cheesy, so take it easy. <laughs> that was horrible. Um, I'm a feminist, but if a stranger tells me that I have a nice butt, no matter what my face says, my heart is saying thank you. Because uh, my butt means a lot to me uh, because it is this Handmaid's Tale. Thank you. Yay! <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm a feminist, but I sometimes think that because I was raised a Jehovah's Witness, which is sort of Handmaid's Tale without the hoods, um, and the hoods would have come in very handy because we were in Australia and we were knocking on doors outside the whole time in like 40-degree heat. Yeah, and the SPF factor of those hoods would be exceptional. But I do sometimes think how closely my life, it just so could have gone to me being basically a commander's wife, an elder's wife, so easily. Because, ho, 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 lucky you. Yeah, well, <laughs> but the reason it didn't is because I lived on the Gold Coast in Queensland and I was not considered attractive there because all of them... The, who are these people? Who do I need to murder? Okay, no. All <laughs> this of is the, upsetting, this is false. 
Well, it was two reasons. One, all of the young women that were considered attractive, it was extremely, extremely, extremely narrow, the idea of beauty there. And it was very, very petite, very, very, very small young women, very, very blonde and very, very tanned. And my skin doesn't really go tan and I wasn't... That is so cute. It's like the standards are kind of universal. Yeah, yeah. And it was... And it, it was just a very specific time and place. But the main reason was is uh, young men would sometimes say to me, I could never marry you. You wouldn't be in subjection. You'd never let me be the head of the house. And I would say, you are correct, Brother Darren. Well spotted. Um, <laughs> But I sometimes think if anybody that I had even vaguely fancied, I was so desperate to be fancied, if anybody I'd even vaguely fancied had fancied me, I definitely would have married them because that was the prize. That was the only thing a woman could do other than knock on doors. And then I probably would have, I know I would have married someone who was spiritual and ambitious. He would have become an elder quite quickly. Then he probably would have become a circuit overseer. And a circuit overseer is somebody uh, who travels from congregation to congregation, like a head elder or a head commander who goes around spying on everyone and making sure they're doing it right. And everyone has to pretend to be happy. You know that real handmaidsy, oh, blessed day feel. When that circuit overseer is coming, everyone wants to have the circuit overseer and his wife, as she's always called, and his wife, for dinner. And you may have to make them feel very special. And there are days when I think the only thing that stood between me and being a circuit overseer's wife was that I wasn't seen as hot enough. <laughs> and I think, you know what? Sometimes looks are overrated. That's like, one, yes. Also, would those girls have been hotter than you if you were all wearing the same outfit? <laughs> I just said, think about it, you guys. I, I will. It's important. I'm a feminist, but as much as I love equality, I also really love the idea of the hand man's tail. And sometimes I think about off Kima and I wonder, is he pious? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or is he like a sneaky little thing that's trying to come into mommy's office in the middle of the night? I don't think you're allowed to wonder that. I think that's <laughs> not okay. It's not okay. I don't know. I'm bringing extra guilty today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now trying to imagine a universe in which you're the commander. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, oh, and you have both judge. a husband and a handman. I do. I do. That's some kind of porn. I'm telling you. Like there must be handyman porn. The hand it's like man. the husband and the it's handman. Different. <laughs> yeah. And it just like fixes stuff around the house. Yeah. In his spare time. <laughs> Yeah. And is in this scenario, is he trying to get, are they both trying to knock you up or just the handman? Do you know? I feel like the handman, it's his job. To knock you up. Yeah, it's his role in our society. Yeah. Yeah, but both of them work together to please me. <laughs> Live from Waterstones Bookshop in Piccadilly, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host Kima Bob, and very special guests. Kajula Dedra and Amanda Palmer talking about The Testaments by Margaret Atwood featuring a very special performance from The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. Hey, Mark, this is genuinely exciting, isn't it? It's genuinely thrilling. It's a really cool, it's a like cool moment. It's a cool time. Is this like Testament Eve? It basically is, is Testament Eve. I know, I've been waiting so long. I've just been thinking, like, kind of counting down the days. And then 
Did you hear what happened? Amazon accidentally released 800 books in America on pre-order. Based off of Amazon's history, I feel like it wasn't an act of feminism. Well, okay. I have looked on the internet for this theory and I cannot find it. I think it is mine alone and I don't think anyone else has realized what's happened. Who works for Amazon? Who has to go and get Mm. those books and what do we know about them? Mm. They're scuttling around. They're not allowed bathroom breaks. They're Mm. running here, they're running there. They're paid under minimum wage. We've seen all the exposés. 800 is a very specific number. Mm. Because when you think about the amount of handmaid's books that must have been on pre-order in the United States of America... It definitely would have been tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, surely. A million! I'm going to go with a million on pre-order. Yeah, I like it. It feels good. It feels right. A million. <laughs> so, I mean, you would know. You're American. Yeah. You, you overdo there, things. There's so many of us. I would have ordered a million myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Americans do things big. They didn't order 800 copies. So, my question is, why did the people... Hmm. scurrying around in that basement. Why did they send out 800 books? I am telling you, it is a message from the bowels of Amazon. Mm -hmm. We are handmaids. Please come and get us. Now, I truly believe if you were to get your hands on one of those 800 books, you would find coded messages inside. (laughs) Words underlined. Now, what we need to work out tonight as a true crime mystery is what does the 800 mean? Mm-hmm. I've been trying to work it out. So does anyone have a copy of The Handmaid's Tale here? Um, yes, great. You have a copy on you. Can you go to, say, for example, page 80 and then find the 10th sentence wow. on that page? Because I swear, I swear. It's, wow. Now we need to get a microphone to That's you deep. or you need to come up here. Hello. Um, what am I looking for? 10th word, 80th? No, 80. I'm looking, you're on, are you on page 80? I am. I need you to count 10 sentences down, 10 lines down from the top. Oh, God. This okay. feels like a religious experience. It is. Okay, ready? Blessed be the fruit. I'm in our first apartment. <laughs> in the bedroom. Yep. In the bedroom. Yep, you bet she was. That's a clue. You bet she was. Huh. Okay, I'm in our first apartment in, in the our bedroom. first apartment. Yes. That's somewhere that she feels, you know, that mm. she owns. Well, is she having now a flashback to when she was in her first apartment? Mm. Is that what it's about? Yes. And she was in the bedroom. So this handmaid is imagining a time when mm-hmm. she was home and when mm-hmm. she was safe. What safer place in the house than the bedroom? That, mm. of course, is your absolute safest place. That's it's your deep, hood. Deborah. It's your hood, it's your sister, it's your cap. So what the message from the handmaids mm. inside Amazon is saying is, we remember a time yep. when capitalism did not have us in this basement. Hmm. That's what they're saying. And we wish to be back in that type. Can you please come and say, it's a yeah. clear cry for help. Yeah. They're I've saying, never been more right about anything. They're saying, look back. Remember the time mm. when and, you had an apartment. Yeah, and don't forget us. Don't forget yep. us. That's what they're saying. Now, it could Heavy. be that the 800 is significant, but not in that particular way. If that's the case, if anyone no, else... it feels like that way in particular. It was Well, it, maybe it's significant <laughs> in a number of ways. Does anyone else have any ways that the number 800 could be significant? I'll leave it with you, mm. and I'll come back to you later. Because you... I just don't think this was not... They must have had them under lock and key. It's a message. I feel like your instincts are on point here and I feel like you need the rest of you to put your detective hats on 
and really start thinking about how we're going to save the Amazon miners. <laughs> what I'm also delighted by here tonight at uh, the Handmaid's Book Launch is we have um, Candy Maid's Tale here. We have yeah. um, like green M&Ms, uh, the lime exciting. green of the Testaments. And we also have little Testament cupcakes. Well, they even have a little M for Margaret. I... I But look, these are little cupcakes. That's uh, scary. Yeah, I know. They're cupcakes of oppression. Would anyone like one? <laughs> Depicting an oppressed woman. Very uh, exciting. No, no. Her head is down, so you know that she knows what's good for her. Um. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay, Kima, that was too far. Now, <laughs> it's all so sad. <laughs> all right. Is everyone psyched for the testaments tonight? So psyched. So psyched. So this is our special edition of The Guilty Feminist Does Handmaids here at the Testaments book launch with Margaret Atwood in this building. What? We are currently breathing the same air as Margaret if she has entered the building. Has she entered the building? Can anyone from Waterstones let me know? I'm not allowed to say that. Oh, they're giving me, they're giving me full-on Martha faces like we cannot say. They're like, look at their faces. They're so scared. They're like we cannot. It's Commander Waterstones will come down if we say anything. We understand. They don't want to endanger this house. No, absolutely. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here. I'm delighted to announce some more autumn dates for our Guilty Feminist Big Speeches workshops happening at the Rose and Crown Theatre in Walthamstow. So these workshops are taking place on Sundays, Sunday the 22nd of September, the 29th of September and October 6th and October 13th. So they're all happening at the Rose and Crown Theatre pub in Walthamstow. And if you want to come and find your voice and take your space, please get on the website, Guilty Feminist feminist.com forward slash big speeches to book your place. Our first workshop is nearly sold out. So do get on it to avoid disappointment. Looking forward to seeing you there. Please welcome the incredible Kima Bob. Oh, oh, thank you so much. This is a very exciting time. This is a cool event to be at. At first, I was, like, so intimidated by the ask to be here because I'm someone who's introduced to the book through the series, proceeded not to read the book, um, and then listened to the audio version. <laughs> um, uh, it's weird because, like, I'm definitely literate, but do I read? Um <laughs> It's different. It's a different thing. And it's weird thinking about it because <laughs> I was listening to the audiobook, which is Elizabeth Moss, and her voice is so soothing. Like, it just sounds pretty hot the whole time, uh, which is not what the book is about. Uh, very confusing. It's just her voice is in this kind of place. Um, <laughs> and I was reading the book. I got the paper book to read as I listened because I was like, whoa, let's make this an interactive experience. And I was like, whoa, Margaret's really good at this. I was like, whoa. I was like, authors are really talented. I was like, I get why people read. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to still. And I was thinking about kind of the difference between uh, the series and the book and, like, what you're watching versus what you're reading and kind of what's missing and whatever. And in watching the series, there's, like, so much left unsaid. But in the book, 
Margaret Sarah. And one of the things that I feel like we didn't get enough of in the series, what I feel like we didn't really get to see, what we couldn't feel was how fucking horny Alfred was. She was so horny in that book. And she was just like, I'm so repressed right now. And she was like, I wonder if I dropped an apple and pretended I needed to pick it up. If I would distract this guard. And I was like, Alfred, why are you just playing random sex games in the neighborhood? And it was insane. And as someone who really enjoys the movie Legally Blonde, I just appreciated that Alfred was ready to bend and snap. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I really respected that about her. Um, but other thoughts and thinking about coming here today, I was trying to think about where would I fit in this universe. And I thought to myself, I'm a queer and pansexual person, so maybe there would be like gender traitor or something exciting like that. Also, black. I'm not sure uh, how racist we are. Is this Handmaid's Book racist or Handmaid's Series racist? What level of racist? Uh, how valuable are my eggs? Uh, but then I was thinking about recently, I got my IUD removed because I had like a different form of birth control for the past 10 years, which like Gilead would hate. And I thought, whoa, why have I been on birth control forever? This hormone's probably not good for my brain. So I was like, let me remove this IUD. And after the doctor yanked it out, because if anyone's had one put in or had one removed, it's not a pool, it's not delicate. It's like, <laughs> She's like, coffee, you look, <laughs> why did you take my soul? And it's very confusing. But the doctor who moved it, after she took it out, and she was like, okay, blah, blah, blah. She was like, I just need you to be very careful because you are very fertile. Okay? She just looked at me, and she was like, you are very fertile. And it was terrifying. And it was like, I was terrified, but she was terrified. And she said it to me. The way she said it to me was like, my baby was her worst fear. <laughs> it's very confusing and I was like do you know how it feels to have a medical professional just look at you and go you're very fertile like I was like how do you know um, so it's all terrifying and because she doesn't like babies I don't think Gilead would like her either also she's a lady doctor she knows too much <laughs> yeah yep. that's my life excellent excellent I, I um... thank you for your claps what I 100% understand why when she wrote it, her imagining that, you know, all the people of color would be taken away to the colonies was obviously yeah, a reflection of American society and the racism within it. But I really like the decision that the Hulu people have made because they said, if we put no people of color in it, we're not making a show about racism, we're making a racist show. And I actually think where we are now, if fertility was such an issue that the human race was dying out somehow the people in power would sort of just lift up and look over it and ignore it. And some people have said, oh, they should deal with it. I'm like, they can't deal with it, actually. Mm. They just need to ignore it and pretend we've never been racist because we need babies. Yeah. Because who will you enslave if I don't procreate? <laughs> Boom! Um, well, the thing is, Kima, you would definitely be a handmaid because if you're very, I'm very so fertile, Matt eggs very. are juicy. She was like, she was like, what kind of contraception are you going to use? I was like, well, I've got to remove because I'm not coming in contact with a lot of sperm. Uh, but if I do get myself to a spermy situation, I'm going to condom it up. Um, she was like, and they have to be applied properly. And I was like, why are you even telling me like when you just think that my egg is going to bite through it anyway? <laughs> 
insane. She's so aggro. You're so fertile. So the thing is, I cannot believe you would not be a handmaid. My fear is because everyone's like, oh, we all have to turn up to things in red dresses and white hoods now because we'd all be handmaids. And I'm like, my fear is that I would not be a handmaid, that I would mm. now have moved into the category of aunt. Mm. And that the state would say, she's got leadership qualities. Uh, <laughs> give her a brown dress. And it's a matter of public record because I've done a Radio 4 show about it that I tried to get pregnant and failed even using the best technology. So it's very clear that I would not be a handmaid. But then I thought about it and I thought, God, it'd be awful to be an aunt. But then I thought, maybe it's better to be a young, hot aunt than a washed up handmaid. I can't really work it out. I, the worst thing for me would be to be a wife because... I just think it's so incredibly boring. Like, they literally do nothing but garden and then, like, persecute other people. They have no, absolutely no role. You could no do role. naughty stuff, like, mm, read something. And then, like, every year you could, like, do something exciting for yourself, right? Like, try to find something and read and get caught and then be punished. And you're like, woo, spicy. I'm not looking Wife for, life. I'm not, I'm not looking for plot. I'm not looking to have my fingers removed one by one. general fulfillment? No, no. I would genuinely rather be in Jezebel's than be a wife because it looks like they do a shit ton of MDMA in there. And, I, and there's, you know, something to be said for that. But I started to think about it and I started to think we always put ourselves in the handmaid's role. But in real life, in this world, in this pre-dystopia that we're living in now, I mean, to be fair, it does feel like we're teetering on the edge of a dystopia. But I think even right now, before anything even more terrifying has happened, we already live in a society that's full of power structures and it's full of marginalization, it's full of oppression. So I started to think instead of always putting ourselves in this handmaid's role, the reality is, yeah, there are times when in the current society we live in, we might feel like we're at the bottom of the heap in a certain situation. But I think the question is not, what are we? Which character are we? The question is, which character are we in which situation we're in, in which room we're in? So for example, if I buy fast fashion and a dress comes to my door and it's 10, 15, 20 quid, I'm not a commander. I'm not running a sweatshop, guys. I don't really know where this came from. But if it's 20 quid and it's got sequins on, I do know Basically, somebody else is living a life of such deep oppression and I'm benefiting from that. So in that case, I'm a bad wife. I'm a wife who doesn't really care. So if you look at the wives' roles, they're benefiting off the deep oppression of someone else and they feel entitled to it. But if you ask them, they'd go, oh, but my husband's the commander and he says what goes. So whenever we're consumers, we're wives. And we could be good wives or we could be bad wives. Because sometimes the wives are good, right? Sometimes the wives are like, I'm not participating in this ceremony. Sometimes the wives are like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get out the back door. So you can't help being a wife if you're a consumer. But you can be a good wife. And I would say we're all commanders in some situations. We think we're never commanders unless you're a white straight man. And then uh, if you're a white straight posh man you might be a commander a lot of the time. But I think we're all commanders. If you go and sit in a restaurant and you look at the menu, you're immediately a commander because you definitely, definitely have power over animals. You definitely do. And then we have to decide, am I a good commander or am I a bad commander? And we don't see a lot of examples of good commanders in The Handmaid's Tale, but sometimes we see Commander Waterford on a good day and like he lets her play Scrabble. <laughs> yeah. I am not 
a vegan. So I feel like in this situation, like I'm a bad commander, but I eat a lot less meat than I did. I try and only eat fish. I'm really trying on a journey towards less to no dairy. At the moment, I'm a commander that some days lets her play Scrabble and other days not. So (laughs) she can't play Scrabble. Sometimes uh, we're a Martha. A Martha is somebody who is present but has no authority. And so you can be on a bus and somebody saying something racist to someone behind you. You're present but you have no authority. So you can either just look ahead and get off or you can turn around and you can get involved and you can say to the person, are you okay? And you can start chatting to them and maybe try and get a community around that person. There are all sorts of situations in your life where you have no authority, but you could get involved or you could look away. So are you the kind of Martha who just keeps their head down and brings the sandwiches? Or are you the kind of Martha that tries to smuggle 100 children out into an aeroplane? And nobody can tell anybody. Nobody can say, you need to risk your life to try and get somebody out. But you have to make that decision for yourself and you have to be doing it knowledgeably. And so I'm looking at all of those roles now. I'm looking at the role of the I when we're asked in our society, if you see something, say something. And sometimes really you're being asked to racially profile. You're being asked if an Asian person gets off the tube and leaves a parcel, do you panic? And if a white person does, do you go, hey, did you leave your Harrods bag? Like you're being asked to do that. You're being asked to be an I. And I know something of this because when I was a Jehovah's Witness, we were always told we had to turn each other in all the time. And we did. We did it because we were worried about someone else's spirituality. We were told like if I knew someone was going to a nightclub, I would tell an elder, I'd be like, I'm pretty sure Sister Susan is going out clubbing with some of the younger sisters who are less spiritual. And she's a pioneer, so she should not be doing that. And we would turn each other in all of the time. So I have actually been an I, guys. I don't want to brag. Um, So all the time, in every situation we're in, you can be all of those roles in one minute. If you go to a restaurant and you look down and you go, am I going to order the beefsteak covered in its mother's milk? Or, or... True though. I mean, everyone's like, eh, but we do it. We do it. We're like, I'll have the steak with the garlic butter. That's what we're doing. Or don't stop making the face unless you're a vegan. If you're a vegan, you can make the face. No one else can make the face. You have to make this face. That's what I do. (laughs) Only vegans can make this face. And I mean, full-time vegans, I don't mean you plant-based people who I'm plant-based all the time. Like I ran into a comedian at the Edinburgh Festival and she had a milkshake like with cream on the top. And I went, I thought you were a vegan. She said, I was when I got here. And it was the end of the Edinburgh Festival and she'd had a long run. It's fair. But what I'm saying is, I don't know what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm saying is, you're a commander when you look at the menu, but then maybe you're in a same-sex relationship out on a romantic date and you get a tone of homophobia of the waiter. And in that moment, you feel like a handmaid. Over your shoulder, you see something that you feel is a bit racially aggravated or even just someone having a bad time, somebody who seems alone and crying and you then are Martha and are you going to help or are you not going to help? In that one situation, we can be all of those roles. Every day we should ask ourselves, who am I here? Do I hold power or is power being withheld from me? And if power's being withheld from me, is it also being withheld from people in this room? And can I be the June handmaid who stands up and says, fuck it, I'm going to try and get these kids out? Or are you going to be the handmaid that goes... I'll live oppressed until I die. And that seems like a better thing because it'll be a longer life, but a less frightening death. That sounds like a depressing way to bring on our guests, but it isn't really. (laughs) 
Hello, Guilty Feminists. Just briefly interrupting this very exciting special episode of The Guilty Feminist to let you know that The Guilty Feminist and Amnesty International have got together to bring back The Secret Policeman. Now, you can hear a recent Secret Policeman on The Guilty Feminist feed, a very, very, very exciting comedy show for human rights. And if you live in Manchester or can get there, you can come to the next Secret Policeman's tour on Tuesday, the 3rd of December at the Palace Theatre. And you can get tickets for that at manchestertheatres.com or find more information on the Guilty Feminist website. If you are in Dublin, the Guilty Feminist is coming at you to Vicar Street, our favourite venue, on the 6th of November. Go to our website for details or to ticketmaster.ie for tickets. If you've not picked up the Guilty Feminist book yet, it's out in paperback, also an audiobook and ebook. And it's all my ideas on guilty feminism in one exciting place. Lots of new stuff you've never heard on the podcast before. Pick up a copy. It'd be a great way to support me and the podcast if you'd like to do that. Another way to support the podcast is our brand new merch shop. Now, the proceeds from the merch go into our pot for good things. And that includes supporting shows and charities and paying the women in our ever burgeoning backstage staff as the podcast gets bigger. Go to guiltyfeminist.com and you can get t-shirts and hoodies and notebooks and aprons and all sorts of exciting things. Also, the playbook of Fleabag is out now. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge very kindly asked me to write the forward. So pick that up from a good bookshop near you or find it online. And finally, last week, I went to see Stiletto Beach by Sadie Hassler. Now, she came and talked about this on the podcast. And I have to say, the show is a jubilant exploration of what it means to be an Essex girl and what it doesn't mean, and also what it means to be a woman. It's at Queen's Theatre Hornchurch until the 28th of September. And if you'd like to get tickets, you need to go to queens-theatre.co.uk. I really, really recommend it. You'll have a wonderful time. Now back to the podcast. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. Whoa, guys, excerpt from a book that the person we're going to talk to wrote. Do you find yourself staring helplessly at your news feed? 
are all too often asking, why hasn't someone done something about that? If the answer is yes, then do something is the book you need. People power works. So stop banging your head against the wall. Pick up this book and start planning your resistance. <gasps> Come the revolution. Our guest today is the UK director of Change.org and the author of the book, Do Something, Activism for Everyone. Please welcome to the stage, Kajala Dedra. <laughs> yeah. So good. So, Kajal, your book is really about how to be the Martha that does something. It's about how to be the handmaid that speaks up. It's about how to be the wife that isn't complicit and works with the handmaid. Because you're the person that says you can do something. Yeah, partly I think it's not even our fault half the time, right? Because we get brought up and we get taught not to question, mm. not to be curious. We don't get taught politics in school. It's within the kind of favour of a lot of these small groups of elite people that we don't get involved in activism and in politics. So I spent like, you know, 10, 12 years in activism. Yeah, you're currently the, was it the UK head of Change.org. Yeah, exactly. Very and, cool. And I just got fed up of, first of all, I would often be in the pub and people would be like, I'm going through this situation with my landlord. What shall I do? And they would often come to me. And I'd be like, well, it's easy. You do this, 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 and this, and this. Or then the petition starters we work with, who are often, you know, parents who are trying to save the healthcare of their child or families who are trying to save their, you know, social housing. And we would help them. But then I just thought, why aren't we telling everybody all of these really simple tips and tricks? Mm. Because it works in the power of these small group of elite people who run our institutions, they don't want us to get involved. And basically I wrote this book because I realised there wasn't really anything like it out there that was really plain English. It talks about intersectionality without trying to make you feel like an idiot, you know, and I just wanted it to be as accessible as possible so that people were able to get involved. Amazing. And so if you get this book you're going to have much more of a sense of how you can actually do something and not just think about doing something. Yeah, and it fully works. Just a little plug for change.org. So we have got 17 million users in the UK and we see around 11 petitions win a week. Wow. And it's campaigns um, like the tampon tax. Um, when you say win, what does that mean? So when Laura started the campaign to end the tampon tax, she wanted to end the tampon tax and she's had a commitment from the UK government that they are going to end that at some point when we leave the EU. Um, um, oh, well, I look forward to that being... Yeah. I mean, that will definitely happen by 2024. And uh, I would look forward not to paying extra for my tampon. The irony of that will be there will be no tampons to pay a tax on because we won't be able to get anything in or out tampon-wise or Brexit-wise. But still, great that the UK government have committed to some fucking thing. Um, So what else has worked? Laura's campaign inspired Amica George to start a petition to end period poverty. And that basically is that one in ten schoolgirls skip school um, because they can't afford sanitary products. Amica joined Laura's campaign was really excited by all of the energy that Laura was mobilising around it and said, how can I help? How can I do more? Amica was 16 at the time and at school. And Laura was like, well, I've just learned that there's this thing called period poverty where girls are skipping school. And so Amica started that petition last uh, a year and a half ago. She got to over 200,000 signatures. And then earlier this year, Philip Hammond committed to all secondary schools getting sanitary products. But that wasn't enough for Amica. So she was like, no, it has to be primary schools as well. 
And so she went back out to her signers saying, you need to take more action, you need to email the government. And then within a few weeks, they said it will be primary schools as well. Oh, she's a powerhouse, isn't Honestly, she? but these are women. Like, one of the things that we found is that even though men start more petitions on change.org, women win more. Oh. Classic. So, but is that because we actually get other people to sign it? Because the ones that men start are often things like, bring back Buffy but with a boy and things like that. <laughs> They're not real ones. They're not real ones. One of the ones that I saw were like, oh, Yorkie bar. Can we have the ads back where it says that it's manly? Because now when I eat them, I don't feel as manly. And, and while I am incredibly relaxed about my masculinity, I will be needing up to a million people. So and they wanted it debated in the House of Commons. We don't, I mean, we really don't have time for that. That's I mean, we a, really... That's a waste of taxpayers' The House of money. Commons cannot... And I saw one about bringing, I think, to be fair, this was either a woman or a gay man, but it was about bringing, making boys' own regroup and go to Maybe. Belfast or something. I was yeah. like, you can't, the government can't make boys' own regroup. They, yeah. can't, they have limited power, and they should do. They can't even make boys' own all wear the same thing, Kima. I feel like more people should be wearing less stuff. Yeah, well, that would be good for the environment, yeah. but it should not be mandated by the police that we... We're w- going to keep bumping heads. No, no that's... <laughs> Do you think the women ones are getting through more partly because we're really seeing it through and we're really gathering and we're really garnering and it's yeah. part of the current wave of feminism? Exactly. So I think there's a few things. I think, first of all, women are nothing if not persistent and they just stick it out. Like, they don't stop. When Lucy started the No More PhD campaign... It was in the summer of 2012, and she thought she'd win it by the end of that year. She burnt out, took some time out, and she was like, right. Came back, and then she basically let loads of other young people get involved in her campaign. And it started this whole wave of, like, young women getting involved in feminism. And so she just, like, let go of control, and that became a movement, and it carried on for a few years until that campaign won. And so they are persistent. I also think women are better storytellers. They're more willing to be vulnerable, and be emotional, and that's what really, really gets through when it comes to changing... No, no, that Yorkie man was pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, he had a whole story about it. That's just, just saying. But I also think that traditionally in society, men are given all of these opportunities and actually don't think twice before putting themselves up for positions. And all of a sudden, the internet's come along... And it's allowed young people, women, people of colour, people with disabilities to have a voice heard. And we've just proven that we can get shit done 10 times better than the white privileged people in Parliament who have just been stalling on Brexit for the last three years. I should say as well, in my matrix where you can be any of the characters, not all commanders are white straight men because Pretty Patel is definitely a commander. (laughs) Theresa May is definitely a commander. So it's holders of power. But if you are a Martha on a bus because you don't have any authority and someone's being racist to Pretty Patel, do you then say, this is a society you wanted? Or, tempting, I know, but no, you don't say that. You don't say that. You still have to intercede, even if it's Pretty Patel. Reading at a lodge always says, where do you hold power? And I think this book is saying, in more places than you think. And change.org is a great place to galvanise and find out, do other people feel this? Are other people angry about this? And will they join you? You don't understand the amount of petitions we see started every day where someone who doesn't have privilege is desperate for your support. And so when people talk about clicktivism, 
I kind of don't mind it because I'm like, we should make it easy as possible to get involved in politics. But also it kind of pisses me off because it's like you have the privilege of not turning to the internet and desperately needing the support of people who... And they often, it's like the last-ditch chance. We worked with this amazing mother, um, Hannah Deacon, whose son Alfie needed um, medical cannabis. He was having like um, over 25 seizures a day. He couldn't live his life. It was heartbreaking. And um, she campaigned to get medicinal cannabis legalised in this country. So it's people like that that are turning to the site out of desperation. And so when people talk about clicktivism, I'm just like, yeah, great, good for you, but people need this. Mm. And just like the, you know, the women in The Handmaid's Tale, the May Day resistance, they had to hack the system. So the system itself didn't work for them. And the system doesn't work for us. And we have to hack it. And we're amazing at hacking it. Like women are getting stuff done. We've seen so many incredible campaigns win in the last year whilst Brexit is stalling that we can see that it's actually, once we give women the tools to do it, they're actually amazing at it. Wow. Well, I am so excited. This is your May Day book. If you want to start your own May Day resistance, mm. buy, do something. Can we have an enormous round of applause? It's the incredible Cadillac Dedra! exciting guest literally just met each other today on twitter which turned into why don't you come and close the show i'm so excited almost as excited she's here as uh, margaret atwood is here put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for the incredible amanda fucking palmer oh wow wow she, she is actually naked yay wow wow Um, so, Amanda, when you said I might come out naked, I genuinely thought you were joking. You don't know me very well. <laughs> yeah, she's well, not a comedian, Deb. She's a singer. <laughs> as I said, we just met today. Amanda is going on tour around the UK. Amanda, can you tell us a little bit about what your tour is about? I just finished uh, three months of a North American tour, and I'm about to... I just started the European leg of the tour and it's coming through the UK and Ireland. It's basically a three-hour storytelling tour. I'm clothed during my actual show. This is just a publicity stunt. Um, <laughs> and my husband's upstairs, so it's safe. <laughs> and I talk really candidly. I have a new album that just came out in March called There Will Be No Intermission. Um, it's a and I, stunning album, really beautiful you. album. Uh, and I talk really candidly on stage about what it was like to go through three abortions, a natural childbirth, and a miscarriage. And it's really funny. <laughs> it actually is, because it would fucking have to be, because that's what I'm talking about. It could not be a more feminist show. I'm just so excited to see it. Everyone should get tickets and tell people around the UK and in other parts of the world where you're touring it. And you are going to sing us out today with an amazing song. I am. Then put your hands together for Amanda Palmer. In my mind in a future five years from now 
I'm a hundred and twenty pounds And I never get hungover Because I will be the picture of discipline Never minding what state I'm in And I will be someone I admire And it's funny how I imagined That I would be that person now But it does not seem to have happened Maybe I've just forgotten how To see that I'm not exactly the person that I thought I'd be And in my mind In the far away here and now I've become in control somehow And I never lose my wallet Because I will be the picture of discipline Never fucking up anything And I'll be a good defensive driver and it's funny how I imagined That I would be that person now But it does not seem to have happened Maybe I've just forgotten how To see that I'll never be the person that I want to be In my mind When I'm old I am beautiful Planting tulips and vegetables Which I will mindfully watch over Not like me now I'm so busy with everything That I don't look at anything But I'm sure I'll look when I am older And it's funny that I imagined That I would be that person now But that's not what I want If that's what I wanted Then I'd be giving up somehow How strange to see That I don't want to be the person that I want to be And in my mind I imagine so many things Things that aren't really happening And when they put me in the ground I'll start pounding the lid Saying I haven't finished yet I still have a tattoo to get that says I'm living in the moment and it's funny how I imagined that I would win this winless fight but maybe it really isn't funny that I've been fighting all my life and maybe I have Think it's funny if I want to live before I die And maybe it's funniest of all 
to think I'll die before I actually person that I want to be. that the Guilty Feminist has ended in a more dramatic, exciting, moving and wonderful way. It was so many things in one performance. We're going to get Amanda back onto the podcast to do her whole own episode very soon. And there's been a call on Twitter already for tickets to go on sale for that and everyone to know ahead of time. She's truly wonderful. Can I say a big round of applause for Kajal as well? <laughs> Kima Bob. Everyone at Waterstones who made this happen. Waterstones has worked so hard to make this happen. Can you please be nice to the Waterstones staff? They're working so hard and they're just doing such an incredible job. Uh, thank you very much to our guys on sound who are incredible. Uh, Amanda Palmer again. I've been Deborah Francis White. This has been The Guilty Feminist. See you upstairs for Margaret Atwood reading for the Testaments. Now, you can buy the Testaments right now from any good bookshop or find it online. And I've started it, I have to say. I am addicted. I cannot wait to keep reading. It's such a page turner, all set in The Handmaid's World. Go get it now and get it from Waterstones if you can, if you're living in the UK, because they have done this amazing show with us tonight. If you would like to see Amanda Palmer, she's coming on tour, UK and Ireland. It's so exciting. You've got to go and see her. On the 16th of October, she'll be at Bexhill. On the 19th of October, she'll be at Cardiff. 20th of October, Cambridge. 23rd, Cork. 24th, Dublin. 26th, Belfast. 27th, Limerick. 1st of November, Dunfermline. 2nd of November, Glasgow. 3rd, Manchester. 4th, York. 7th, Newcastle. And 5th, 6th. 13th and 14th at the Union Chapel in London. If you'd like to know more details, and I really think you should, she is a magnificent performer and she sings such soul-enhancing feminist songs, go to amandapalmer.net and find out about all things Amanda fucking Palmer. Now back to the podcast. Thank you very much. That's lovely. And I understand we're doing a countdown to midnight, so I'm going to have to read really fast. <laughs> so we're listening to the first narrator of the Testaments, who is an unexpected personage. And uh, she begins like this. Only dead people are allowed to have statues, but I've been given one while still alive. 
Already I am petrified. This statue is a small token of appreciation for my many contributions, said the citation, which was read out by Aunt Vidala. She'd been assigned the task by our superiors and was far from appreciative. I thanked her with as much modesty as I could summon, then pulled the rope that released the cloth drape shrouding me. It billowed to the ground and there I stood. We don't do cheering here at Ardua Hall, but there was some discreet clapping. I inclined my head in a nod. <laughs> my statue is larger than life, as statues tend to be, and shows me as younger, slimmer, and in better shape than I've been for some time. I am standing straight, shoulders back, my lips curved into a firm but benevolent smile. My eyes are fixed on some cosmic point of reference, understood to represent my idealism, my unflinching commitment to duty, my determination to move forward despite all obstacles. Not that anything in the sky would be visible to my statue, placed as it is in a morose cluster of trees and shrubs beside the footpath running in front of Ardua Hall. We ants must not be too presumptuous, even in stone. Clutching my left hand is a girl of seven or eight, gazing up at me with trusting eyes. My right hand rests on the head of a woman crouched at my side, her hair veiled, her eyes upturned, in an expression that could be read as either craven or grateful, one of our handmaids. And behind me is one of my pearl girls, ready to set out on her missionary work. Hanging from a belt around my waist is my taser. This weapon reminds me of my failings. Had I been more effective, I would not have needed such an implement. The persuasion in my voice would have been enough. As a group of statuary, it's not a great success, too crowded. I would have preferred more emphasis on myself, but at least I look sane. It could well have been otherwise, as the elderly sculptress, a true believer since deceased, had a tendency to confer bulging eyes on her subjects as a sign of their pious fervor. Her bust of Aunt Helena looks rabid, that of Aunt Vidala is hyperthyroid, and that of Aunt Elizabeth appears ready to explode. That was nine years ago. Since then, my statue has weathered Pigeons have decorated me. Moss has sprouted in my damper crevices. Votaries have taken to leaving offerings at my feet, eggs for fertility, oranges to suggest the fullness of pregnancy, croissant in reference to the moon. I ignore the breadstuffs, usually they have been rained on, but pocket the oranges. Oranges are so refreshing. I write these words in my private sanctum within the library of Ardua Hall, one of the few libraries remaining after the enthusiastic book burnings that have been going on across our land. The corrupt and blood-smeared fingerprints of the past must be wiped away to create a clean space for the morally pure generation that is surely about to arrive. Such is the theory. But among these bloody fingerprints are those made by ourselves, and these can't be wiped away so easily. Over the years, I've buried a lot of bones. Now I'm inclined to dig them up again, if only for your edification, my unknown reader. 
if you are reading, this manuscript at least will have survived, though perhaps I'm fantasizing. Perhaps I will never have a reader. Perhaps I'll only be talking to the wall in more ways than one. That's enough inscribing for today. My hand hurts, my back aches, and my nightly cup of hot milk awaits me. I'll stash this screed in its hiding place, avoiding the surveillance cameras. I know where they are, having placed them myself. Despite such precautions, I'm aware of the risk I'm running. Writing can be dangerous. What betrayals and then what denunciations might lie in store for me? There are several within Ardua Hall who would love to get their hands on these pages. Wait, I counsel them silently. It will get worse. Everybody join us as we count down from 10 until midnight when Margaret will ring her bell to celebrate the launch of the Testaments. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Kima Bob, and our very special guests, Kajala Dedra, Amanda Palmer, and featuring Margaret Atwood herself. The recording engineer was Grundy Lazimbra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rosie and everyone at Waterstones, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Obviously, I'm hot now. I'm in a different environment now. Hot's about environment. Hot's nine-tenths about environment. Hot's nine-tenths about, tenths about what room you're Factual. in. Factual. And it's, it's all about rooms. You've got to find the right room for you. Don't try and, don't try and, conf- don't try and get Mm-mm. hot for the room you're in. Yeah, find the room the you're room hot in. The room that's hot for you. Damn. Find the room that's hot for you. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Anybody I feel like it's a T-shirt. Yeah. I mean, not a T-shirt I would wear. I'm too hot for it, but... That's pretty deep. <laughs> Are you too sexy for your show? I am. It's a great song. Um. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 
Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now.